was the new Google logo designed by a toddler. Answer me this, answer me this. Is there a difference between crumble and cobbler? Answer me this, answer me this. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. What was it that got you listening to this very special show we call Answer Me This? I'm genuinely curious to know what got a lot of our yeah, listeners. Yeah, I sound like I'm ironising. No, but it's quite difficult to find a podcast, isn't it? So it is, yeah. I'm curious. And also there's no digital way of finding out, of logging how you found it. Well, you think that, but we have our spies <laughs> and our drones. Anyway, I imagine most of you started listening because you saw our beautiful cover art and you thought, those look like people that I could fuck. Uh, but uh, Joshua... <laughs> <laughs> but Joshua in Portland, Oregon says, I'm a devoted Answer Me This listener, all because of a man named Jay. 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 Just the initial J. Who is this man named Jay? Well, my question, Helen, adds mystery to that question. Oh. Answer me this. Is Jay alive? Oh, God. I don't know. Now, you'd think that uh, Joshua would be better qualified to answer whether or not his friend is alive than yeah. we who have only Not just met, met him, him through the form of an email. And it's a long way from us to Portland, Oregon, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, he clarifies. Okay. A few months ago, and I feel like this email should be soundtracked uh, by that Romeo and Juliet suite from our tune, okay. if that helps. A few months ago, Jay stopped showing up for his shift as a barista at the cafe that I manage, and I have no way of contacting him. Hang on, you were managing his workplace and you don't have a way of contacting him? Or is he just uncontactable on the ways that you do have contacting him? Like he's not picking up his phone? I think the former, bearing in mind what he's about to say. This all sounds very ramshackle to me. I mean, if anything, the email to me suggests, Joshua, that you're not fully in charge of the establishment with which you've been given control. We tried everything, says Joshua. We even tried calling his tattoo artist to see if he was still alive. (laughs) Only in Portland. If I go missing, you can uh, call my local Turkish restaurant. There's a good chance that I've had a coronary in their toilet. (laughs) That's how I want to go. (laughs) Um, One time, continues Joshua, whilst Jay was still showing up for work, I asked him if his name was short for something. He looked me straight in the eye and said, I don't tell anyone my name. (laughs) Wow. So I have no way of looking him up. It's amazing that you can employ somebody where you only know one letter of their name. I I don't understand that that's legal. Is it cash in hand work? It must be, mustn't it? I think Joshua is outing himself as running a very dodgy establishment here, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, For all I know, continues Joshua, Jay might be in a Thai prison. And the only way I know he'll hear this is if you mention it, uh, assuming, of course, that Thai prisons have 3G. Or Wi-Fi. Yeah, I think most prisons you're not allowed to access the internet, are you, if you're a prisoner? So, Helen and Ollie, please tell Jay to call his old cafe and just tell him to let us know he's still alive. Much thanks. Oh, that's sweet. I hate to think of Joshua worrying into the night about Jay. Absolutely. Jay, if you're out there, Joshua in Portland is very worried about you. And he doesn't need you to come home. He just wants to know you're okay so that he can get another man to make his creamy froth. But then Jay sounds like the kind of guy who, if he's hearing this, is going to think, yeah, I'm not going to do that, though, just to fuck with their heads. <laughs> well, Jay, you could let us know that you're alive. Yeah, in a cool, diffident way. Yeah. And then we'll let Joshua how, know. How will we know that it's the real well, Jay? Well, I was just thinking that anyone listening to this would be like, yeah, I'm Jay. Yeah, I moved oh, to, you know, Hawaii. and Got a test. We could say, for us to know you're the real Jay, you have to tell us your name. And if they do, then we know it's not the real Jay. Hi, it's Joe from Kent. Eleanor Lee, answer me this. I'm currently in a tent at Broadstairs Folk Festival and there are a lot of Morris dancers around. 
What's the earliest example of Morris dancing? When he says there's lots of Morris dancers around, mm. do you think he means performing or do you think he means just walking around? Because at folk festivals, it often is the case. Could be both. It's both. Yeah. And there's nothing weirder. I'll rephrase that. In the context of a folk festival, there are <laughs> few things weirder than someone who's decked out in full Morris gear. Yeah. With the blackface? Sometimes. Just standing and watching someone playing an acoustic guitar, but not with their other Morrissey friends. If a Morris dancer is isolated, that's a very dangerous time. They have to travel in packs. Yeah. Otherwise, it appears like weakness. We haven't actually explained for anyone who's not British, or indeed for the large majority of people who are British, you don't understand what Morris men even are. So in yeah. your answer, Helen, can you include that description? Right. Okay, we have broached uh, this phenomenon before yes. in the podcast, uh, but in some, where other countries have some pretty cool folk costumes and folk dances and uh, ancient cultural things... We have got people wearing bells around their socks, hitting sticks together. Yes. Dancing with hankies. Yeah. The hankies is what we've discussed before because that's supposed to have uh, an indication of your sexual prowess, isn't it? Shaking the hanky off. It's supposed to be your sweat and pheromones attracting Uh. the village women. It's a pheromone thing, not like the gay handkerchief codes. No. But um, it is hard to know exactly how old it is because written records of that kind of thing don't go back all that far and neither do visual records some say it may be really ancient and the ancient celts did it and the druids did it but it definitely comes from an era before television i mean that yeah. much i can tell you yeah okay yeah no it definitely does but the thing is that ancientness might have been made up by the victorians who like to pretend that certain things had more oh, ancient okay. history than they really did the old chin was but it was definitely around in the 15th century because they have it in writing in a will from 1458 Uh, There was a silver cup depicting Morris dancing. Therefore, Morris dancing at that point was already popular enough to have its own merch. (laughs) And then uh, Shakespeare mentions it in All's Well That Ends Well. And and in Henry V, he implies that it was well enough known that even the French nobles knew about it, Mm -hmm. which actually, I think, was stretching the truth a bit. But, you know, every civilization in the world at some point has had men dancing around with bells. It's just that's that, a big claim. I reckon. It <laughs> no, I, actually, I'm going to back Holly up on this. I think that's probably true. In the world before, as I say, televisual entertainment, you know, mass market, I think that's just going to happen. I didn't think this would be the thing to bring you two together in opinion. Yeah. But what they don't know is why it's called Morris dancing. And they think it was probably Moorish dancing, as in the Moors of North Africa. And it may have come from Europe. Like Italian culture was very popular here in uh, medieval times. Mm. But they don't know why it would have been called Moorish. Maybe because of the fancy costumes. And they thought that's probably like what the Moors wore. Or maybe it's because people were wearing blackface and they were like, well, that's what Moors look like. Yeah. Now, so in, uncomfortable. I'm on top of the whole uh, blackface in Morris dancing traditional debate thing. Because um, in because... your village, that's what they do? No, well, <laughs> on my radio station, that's what we do. <laughs> um, and there was a moment last year you might recall uh where the prime minister went to i think it was banbury folk festival uh, and i do i did feel sorry actually for david cameron in this instance because there was really no way to win this he went to his local folk festival with his children okay maybe partly as a photo opportunity because he's every everything he does you know he's the prime minister is a photo opportunity but actually i think genuinely because he was in banbury at the weekend wanted to take the kids to the local folk festival right so he posed for photos and selfies with people but he wasn't there with his press advisors and stuff he was just walking around the folk festival and the banbury morris men troop went mm-hmm. up to him blackface and asked him for a photo at that point as a conservative prime minister you literally can't win can you because if you pose with the blackface ones 
then you're the racist conservative prime minister. If you say, oh, no, I'm not going to pose with you because people think it's racist, then you're giving in to political correctness. Yeah. You, you can't pose with the black-faced ones. Well, as it turned out, of course, he did. And the judgment oh. of the newspapers was, you can't pose with the black-faced yeah. ones. But I'm sure it could have gone the other way. No, I, yeah. think, I think most people are like, well, why are still people dressing up in blackface as if that's okay so i had that debate at one o'clock in the morning on my radio show good times uh, i'm October. sure <laughs> it was actually one of my favorite ones it was quite interesting so yeah. what's the reason so, for it so the, basically the people who think that it's racist are the people who say as helen just did it must be that moors were black and so you're imitating black people i didn't say that's what it must be i said that's one possible explanation no, no, I'm for saying, the word i'm saying the people who think it's racist okay. say it must be that moors were black and that's what it looks like the people who think that it's not racist have a whole variety of reasons to explain why it isn't are they bullshit some of them are but there was one in particular that stuck with me that i thought even if this is bullshit you definitely believe this yeah you, but that you... doesn't make it right no i know but well, all the people who hate women let's hear it is it pl- is it plausible yeah it's plausible they said the blackface dates back to the 16th century when out-of-work farm labourers would go round begging for money, covering their faces in soot so you couldn't identify them because begging was illegal. So they'd do a little dance and then beg for money and that's where the tradition comes from. But you could do that in blue face, couldn't you? Or purple face. That's true, but it's a little bit harder if you're poor and begging to come across purple crayons yeah, than soot. then, but now they use face paint. I doubt purple is vastly different to black ah, in price. Okay, so now you're having a different conversation, which is regardless of the roots and whether the yeah. roots are racist, you update the are people who to, are doing be it now racist. being racist by having blackface? Yeah. Here's a question from Bernard, who says, there is a removals company I see around my part of London. Can I just interrupt to say we don't ever hear from anyone called Bernard in this day and age. It's so nice to hear from a Bernard. I think it's a shame that we haven't until now, and I thank you for your correspondence, whatever you're about to say. I wonder whether Bernard is one of the names that is now quite popular amongst preschoolers. Due to come back, yeah. Bernard says... There is a removals company I see around my part of London called Aussie Man and Van. Yep. Ollie, answer me this. If I, an English person called Bernard, yeah. applied for a job <laughs> at Aussie Man and Van and was rejected for not being Australian, could I sue for discrimination since the only reason I'd been refused is my nationality? Also, I am weak and lazy, but let's ignore that. <laughs> um, yes, is the answer. You, you wow. could. Uh, I presume that is the reason why if you go to the website of uh, said removals company uh, their adverts make it very clear uh, that the nationality does not have to be antipodean mm-hmm. uh, we are looking to recruit 15 to 20 new aussie team members it says aussie the brand not the country mm-hmm. uh, as you might imagine the role is very physical in nature uh, you will be lifting heavy items so bernard you, you wouldn't be as you point out appropriate for the job for that reason mm-hmm. uh, but they do then go on to say we have, on occasions, had customers requesting only Australians or Kiwis. Racists. They're, they're laying the groundwork there that the customers might request it. Mm-hmm. They're not saying they wouldn't fulfil that request. Yeah. But they then do say, or even being shocked, that the removal men that turned up were not of an Australian background. Well, you would be if you'd asked for Aussie Man and Van. You might think something had gone wrong. We open our vacancies to people of diverse backgrounds, regardless of their ethnicity. We recruit based on experience, willingness to learn... And of course, an awesome personality. Then it should be awesome personality man with Van, shouldn't it? Yeah, but they're using the word Australian in the context to mean straightforward. Awesome. Capable. Fun. Laid back. Yeah. Gets the job done. Yeah. So I guess that in that sense, they're not being... What, what would be the word? Prejudice against people who aren't Australian. They're saying, do you want someone who's got an Australian sensibility to moving yeah. your items? Australian attitude. Yeah, exactly. 
Which actually, you know, when you think about it, it, you know, a lot of the fast food restaurants, for example, sell themselves on the basis of an American attitude, Mm. but they're not staffed by Americans. The other day, I did see a vehicle with a nice man with a van dot com written on the side. Uh And I contemplated whether I would hire that person if I needed a nice man with a van. And I thought someone who puts the word nice in their URL probably does have a bit of a cheeky sense of humor. So maybe they would be a good person to hire. Maybe, but they might also, you could argue, have a high opinion of themselves. I'm not sure that any arrogant person would describe themselves as nice, would they? They might say, amazing man with a van, yeah, or, exactly. or very strong, or fast, or something. Nice seems like such a British way to put it. Slightly self-deprecating, but also positive. There was actually a woman who went on Dragon's Den this year with a company called something like Lady Trucks. Mm. And it was, uh, <laughs> she was looking for an investment for a company that uh, has a big fleet of like pink trucks. And they do your removals, and it's all women who work for her. Oh, those poor women. It's going to be like the naked butlers, isn't it, but for removals? (laughs) Well, the theory was, she said, uh, we are less threatening to families with children. We're less threatening to women living on their own. We're less threatening to older people. We're less threatening to gay couples. We don't catcall. Than having your traditional, you know, hairy-ass blokes turning up with boxes. Doesn't have to be pink, though. I just... Well, you know, that was a branding thing to get money on Dragon's Den. But I just wonder whether that's true. Yeah. I, I'd feel guilty having women come to pick up my boxes, I think. We got some furniture delivered recently and there was a, it was a man and a woman and the woman was incredibly strong. I was very impressed with uh, her, her lifting work. I wouldn't... Um, they were absolutely equals. I wouldn't rule them out in the running. Though. Yeah, but would you hire her especially? Would you hire women especially? I just think that that company is not necessarily going to be hired by the people they think they're going to be hired by, are they? You think it's a sexual objectification thing? I don't. Well, I think that's what would end up happening. No, I don't. Could be. Like, Could be. Stag party would hire them. Like, oh, come and move my furniture. <laughs> if there's a business in that, all credit to them. I can't imagine a stag do where you sit around in someone's house waiting for their furniture to that's be moved. Amazing stag do. Like, if you're stag do, you're going to move house. What? Yeah, <laughs> that's brilliant. I've got the question. Then email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. 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 Holiday. It can be so nice. But Simon has been in touch to say. <laughs> Having recently had a holiday in the US, visiting many national parks oh, and out- yeah, aren't they? And outdoors type huge features that America has to offer. Doesn't it just? And noticing the growth in the phenomenon that is the selfie stick. Mm-hmm. At every high point, every top of a mountain, every edge of a canyon, at anything that has a drop of thousands of feet associated with it, so many people seem to back right to the edge to take a <laughs> selfie with the aforementioned stick to show how high up they are. Now, I'm fairly scared of heights, so I was keeping a safe distance whilst watching these people. You need a selfie stick, selfie stick. A safety stick. A stick that takes selfies of other people's selfies. Well, that wouldn't be a selfie. That's just a photograph. Yes. Mm -hmm. And actually, I'm annoyed that I just fell into that trap because I hate people using the word selfie to mean photo. Uh, But, says Simon, the wind was blowing and for the most part, people are standing on the edge of something created by erosion. Yeah, but erosion (laughs) doesn't happen as quickly as taking a photo, usually. (laughs) So, Helen, answer me this. How many people die in the US national parks each year by falling off the edge of something whilst taking a picture? 
<laughs> that statistic is surely not readily available, is it? No. Funnily enough, the National Park Service doesn't like to make a big feature of their death statistics. <laughs> and uh, then it doesn't necessarily break them down by exact cause of death. But I have found some data. Uh, on average, apparently 155 people die annually in the parks. But it's still a much lower rate than if you're outside the parks. Is so, it? Yeah. See, because there are a lot of crags to fall into. There are a lot of uh, water features to swallow you up. Yeah, well... There are a lot of spaces to run out of petrol in. Wild animals? Yeah. yeah. Well, actually... Bears, actually, cougars. I saw a bar chart, which was um, the causes of death, 2007 to 2013. And the biggest cause of death was drowning with 365 deaths. No, no, no record of whether they were taking a selfie at the time. <laughs> no, but it's possible. And then the second biggest was car accidents, 210. Oh. Then the third biggest, 178 falls. So right. that could be, yes. and then 99 other. So those are unspecified. We they could be voter-related. acknowledge that some of the falls are going to be suicides as well, because they probably haven't spelt that out. But you yeah. know, if you're going to go and kill yourself, you might go to national parks to do it. Might is, is Golden Gate like classified a national monument Ooh, or something like that? Yeah. But anyway, some of them are going to be selfie falls. Yeah, but then right at the bottom of the bar chart is uh, bears at four and two other animals. I think someone was killed by a goat and someone by a snake. I shouldn't laugh because they're dead and that's tragic. <laughs> someone was killed by a goat and that's Who very sad. Who was killed by a goat? I suppose you could get gold, couldn't you? But the, the other week, just the other week, a woman was charged by a bison in Yellowstone <gasps> because she was taking a selfie with a stick. And I don't know whether they see something waving around and it looks uh, threatening. threatening. Don't yeah. fuck about with bison, they're no. huge. No, exactly. Also, in um, Lake Tahoe, they have advised people to stop taking selfies with bears. <laughs> you have to point that out, because if you've mainly seen bears in cartoons, then you're like, oh, bear, lovely. No teeth in that. I'll go give it a little hug. But I think generally, probably the more stupid you are, uh, the less likely you are to be doing something intrepid. So probably mm. the people mm. who are quite savvy and go on backcountry hikes and do climbing and stuff, they are more likely to get into fatal situations because they put themselves out there. Whereas the selfie yeah. stick people, that might look hazardous to you, but they'll probably be all right because actually they're not exposed to hazard as much. Uh, I saw a friend's photos on Facebook. He's just been on honeymoon in Thailand. Uh, and he posted, uh, in fact, his wife posted a picture of him using his selfie stick. That's right. very meta, isn't it? So it wasn't a selfie. See, mm. I was careful yeah. not to use the wrong word. It was documenting a selfie. He post- Actually, there probably should be a term like step selfie. Exactly, yeah. So he posted a step selfie uh, of him using his selfie stick. And this is how he was using it. He's an American football fan. He was lying in a bed at the hotel, streaming a football match onto his phone, which was being propped up by the selfie stick with the stick under his pillow. Legend. So actually, he didn't. he had hands-free football experience there. And mm. if you put the phone at the end of the bed, it would be too far away. Yeah. You know that thing where you're watching a video on your phone, you're yeah. holding it in front of your face for an hour, it hurts your arms. Yeah. Actually, I thought, well, there's a new use for the selfie stick. Yeah. Pillow prop. This question segues maybe brilliantly, maybe terribly into this one from Lizzie in London. She says, at the risk of sounding like a complete lunatic, I am terrified of holidays. Okay. I'm not scared of flying or boats or trains or anything like that. Just terrified of actually being on holiday. If she'd written to us to say, I'm terrified, Ollie, of going on holiday with your family, then I would sympathise. <laughs> yeah. um, because I am somewhat terrified of ever going away with my parents again, just because of the debate at Terminal 4 about which breakfast outlet we're going oh, to. Oh, man. My God, life's too short. There aren't even that many options at Terminal 4. It was just Café Rouge or Pret. Half an hour, Café Rouge or Pret. <gasps> uh, and then it's too late. Got to get on the plane. And it's just a breakfast. Yeah. 
It's going to be bad. It's in an airport. <laughs> exactly. For a start, says Lizzie, I'm a single mum and don't really have anyone other than my eight-year-old son to go with. Disney World. You can have a great adventure with an eight-year-old. Disney World. Or somewhere else. Disney like World. Like a road trip. Disney to World. To American National Parks. Disney World. Or, says Lizzie, I could go on my own, but that is even more terrifying. I have been on holiday in the past, but within a few hours, I want to come home. It feels like I'm missing out on something happening back at home, which of course I'm not. I'm just being ridiculous. Mm. I get bored easily, and it feels like a monumental and unproductive waste of time. But recently, the toils of a stressful job and being a single mum have made me stressed, grumpy and tired. So maybe what I need is a holiday. So Ollie answered me this. Should I go on holiday? And if so, where and what should I do? I can't answer where. That's ridiculous. I don't know enough about you. All I know is that you work hard and you're a single mum. Yeah, we need a budget to start. (laughs) Exactly. But I I would say, yes, you do need to go on holiday. I think that, you know, there's a reason that it's a popular thing to do. Phil will be your master, etc. But, um, you know, since you do have this issue of having difficulty switching off, Mm. and that seems to be more psychological than circumstantial to me. Yes, yes. um, I think you could probably warm up for the holiday before you leave, not find yourself in this pickle where you're bored and and sort of stressed and a bit flappy when you're on a holiday by preparing at home in advance. That might be learning some meditation techniques at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it might be, for example, if you have the money, go to a really nice spa for a weekend in the UK. Or even start going on little day trips so you can come and stay in your house at night, but mm. you go as far away as possible for the day and then graduate to a weekend away. Well, the reason I thought spa is because that is all about you. It is all oh, about That's a nightmare to me. Why? It just sounds awful. What? Like, I would absolutely dread... I hate even having Being my hair touched. cut. Yeah. I don't want to be touched. I don't want to be pampered. I would find that very boring as well. But that's the whole point. It, it's about turning off your brain and letting other people do things for you. But maybe she wants her brain switched on. Maybe she does, but just hear me out. If mm. she goes to the spa, has that level of intense relaxation that you can only get when six people are pummeling away at your legs, uh, and feels like she's completely stressed and thinking about what's happening at home in that scenario then don't go on holiday because it's a waste of money. But if you can train yourself to get into the mode, I would try it. No, I think the problem is you're thinking, Ollie and Lizzie, that holidays are just to be relaxed. But when I'm on holiday, I'm doing a lot more than I do at home because Martin and I go on road trips where we're seeing a lot. And if you're exploring a city, you're not there for very long. So you, you have to go and uh, walk around a lot and see things. So I, I go on trips to to be away from my life. So I've got a change of scene, but also to be stimulated. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So I think choose a holiday that is full of activity and maybe incorporate a mission into it. If you feel like you're wasting time on holiday, just make yourself busy. Make yourself do stuff, yeah. And also, an eight-year-old, I think, could be quite a fun holiday companion because mm. they'll remember the trip and it could be quite influential on them and they're old enough to have opinions and yeah. you could do some quite interesting things. I think, I think when I was not much older than that, my parents took us on a uh, Castles of Wales holiday. Touring around uh, Wales looking at castles was exciting for an eight-year-old. Surely you've seen one Welsh castle, you've seen them all, though. No, they're really different. They're all really, really different. Yeah, Carnarvon and uh, Harlech are quite distinct, for example. Oh, yeah. Different tea towels in the shops. I was going to say. <laughs> I'm not saying this is what Lizzie should do. It's just an example. Yeah. But also, Lizzie, is it impossible for you to go on holiday with some friends? Maybe some friends who have kids of similar age or in a similar situation as you where they're like oh I don't want to go away on my own but yeah but actually I think that's the danger where you are going to end up in a, in a holiday where someone says let's hire a villa and then it will be let's just sit here doing fuck all don't go on any holiday where you're just in one place plan a holiday where you're moving around all the time yeah. and staying in different places I agree with that but everyone I... go on road trips because road trips are brilliant <laughs> I still think you should practice by trying to have a weekend away and completely try and turn off your brain from thinking about what you do at it's home. Worth yeah, yeah, it's worth trying both. It's figuring out which, which holiday style suits you. Are you an Ollie Man holiday maker or a Helen Zaltzman holiday maker? Yeah. 
but you see turning off your brain from normal can work both with your methodology if you're a spa person and my method if you're not a spa person where you want to be distracted by novelties but you have to accept that not everyone is a spa relaxation no, but she's person. saying she's stressed if you if you were if you were stressed and ground down by life would your yeah. solution really be throw yourself into yeah. a, a road trip yeah, that's exactly just... what our solution to that is yeah, yeah. <laughs> now you could try taking a one minute long holiday uh with our intermission where we take a little break from current answer me this with a bit of vintage answer me this yes and in fact remember if you are still to head off on your summer holiday maybe if you're in the southern hemisphere and you're going on a spring holiday <laughs> then remember you should always take a, a iPod load of Answer Me This with you when you go away to divert you. No one uses iPods anymore, Grandad. <laughs> We've got a whole album about holidays. Yes. That might be a really useful primer. Uh, yes, Answer Me This holiday is available at answermethisstore.com along with our first 200 episodes. And today's intermission is taken from Answer Me This episode 52. At what age does it become inappropriate to need to sleep with a soft toy? Aged almost 18, I can't help thinking that I should probably have grown out of this 10 years ago. It's got to the stage where I must take Pandy, (laughs) my one-armed panda, (laughs) uh, to my boyfriend's house when I stay over. Uh, Naturally, Pandy does seem to get in the way, uh, but if I put him by the side of the bed, I feel as though he's perving on me. Pandy, cover thine eyes. what What should I do, and should I get counselling for this. Why don't you just turn Pandy to the wall so he can't see? Not that he can see anywhere with his cold plastic eyes. That makes perfect sense and of course that's what to do. Just try leaving it at home. Keep keep Pandy wrapped up nice and warm. Take a photo of Pandy with you to yes. help wean you off. Exactly, wean you off like Nicorette patches. If you've got Pandy's missing arm separate to Pandy start taking Bring that, that with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, as a token. Travel Pandy. <laughs> Please do send in your questions over the phone and uh, if you could do that by not standing in a high wind when you call and being in a place of good reception, that would be great. Uh, so ensure that those conditions are met and then dial the following number. 0208123 Or you can Skype answer me this. And uh, let's hear who's been in touch. Uh, this is Hannah Vincey, um from Bedford. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. What stops the people who are a phone a friend on who wants to be a millionaire from just looking up the answers on Google? Surely that's what any sensible friend slash relative would do. What what stops it, you mean, Hannah, apart from the fact that the series has been axed in the UK so it doesn't happen anymore at all, and in the international formats where it does happen, they've cut the feature of phone a friend because of the problem you identify. Oh, what substitutes instead? Uh, all different things internationally, actually. Uh, in the US, they've got a version called uh, Three Wise Men as one of the lifelines, mm. uh, where the contestant is allowed to ask a panel of three people chosen by the producers oh. um, a question. So they're, they're supposed to be people that are more likely to know the answers than the audience. Uh, one of them is usually a former winner of the show. Mm. Um, but essentially, it's like a mini version of Ask the Audience. Um, and there's another version of the game where you have Ask the Expert. So obviously, if you've got a, a science celebrity sitting there and it's a science-based question, then that's exciting in the show because it puts pressure on them. But yeah. obviously, if it's a question about showbiz and you've got a science expert, you might choose not to use that. Well, also, if it's your friend, they probably won't sabotage you. Whereas if the science expert doesn't like you very much, then yeah. I, I don't want them getting 200 grand. Well, and this is the thing. I imagine that the show's... Uh, Producers don't really want you to get the big prize, do they? They want the jeopardy. They want you to lose the money. That's more entertaining in a way to watch. So, with Phone a Friend, yeah, um, the show isn't broadcast live, is it? Uh, it has been. It um, has been, but it has been. Uh, no, it was not habitually. No. So, the the friend only knows the questions being asked at the point when the person phones up and says, Correct. "This is the question." The other options it doesn't give them much time to Google. I guess you could. You it gives could. them thirty seconds. 
So uh, that's enough, I guess. Isn't yeah. it? When you're good at Googling like we are. I mean, I think... You do kind of... What you identified is right. I mean, in the 90s, no one knew what a phenomenon that show was going to be. And the people who'd been asked to be friends wouldn't know exactly when it was being recorded. They wouldn't know that their friend had got through to the round using fastest fingers first. And they wouldn't be live broadcasting it at the time. And the internet was so slow that it wouldn't have been a problem. Yeah. Hold on, I just need to plug in the dial-up. <laughs> I'm going to uh, have to hang up for a second. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Excuse me while I just flip through my Britannicas. Um, but yeah, the, the smartphone basically killed all of that pretense, didn't it? And uh, in the American version, which was the first to cut the phone-a-friend feature, apparently you could actually hear people typing the right. answer. I think there are even clips on YouTube that people have cut out because it's funny, because it wasn't against the rules mm. of contestants saying things like, um, instead of re- you know reading you the question, which should be, uh, Martin, uh, with which motion picture did Woody Allen follow his 1979 film Love and Death? Instead of reading out the question, they'd just be like, Martin... Woody, love and death. Right, right, right. Uh, so you'd know that there was a method that had been prearranged. I'd always assumed that uh, the phone a friend person was somewhere in backstage in the studio in an isolation booth. Well, if they did that, that would be better. But yeah, then they wouldn't obviously. be on the phone at all, would they? Yeah, but they could still be on a phone. I thought that was the bit that was cheated, them being on a phone. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. They were at home. Absolutely. Because there were times people didn't pick up. Oh, yeah. shit. Yeah, just rang so it. So if, if, if they don't pick up, do you get to reuse that lifeline at another point? Uh, well, you have five or six friends waiting on standby. So your second oh, you choice is the next one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there'd be nervous laughter and much banter to be had when the person didn't pick up. It was Chris Tarrant, wasn't it? It was, yeah. You can imagine he dealt I with that well. I can imagine bantering yeah, quite. Good yeah, bit of banter that. Effectively. Yeah. They live for those moments. I've often thought, how does Popmaster, the uh, most difficult quiz in the world, yeah. on uh, Ken Bruce's show on Radio 2, how does that manage to live up to its own fearsome reputation in the internet age? And it's because the questions are too hard to Google yes. in the ticking sound that they give you. Stressful, it's a short time. But also, the people who are playing Ken Bruce's Popmaster, they are doing it for the art. Yes, I mean, it's an honour. They're not going <laughs> to win a big glory. money prize. They, they, if they win the week, I think win a mug and a DAB radio. And most importantly, the title of <laughs> yeah. Popmaster. <laughs> I sing like an angel, that's what everyone tells me. But for some reason record labels won't sell me. They say my songs are so crap they can virtually smell me. What on earth do they mean? Instead, you Squarespace to build a musical empire. You can stream and sell your songs and merch through which to inspire other people to try their hand singing as you are so dire. What do you mean, mate? I'm the new Jesse J. Mandem, mandem. Thanks very much to Squarespace for supporting this episode of Answer Me This. Yes, thank you, Squarespace. What you do for us is beyond the call of duty, but what you do for people's websites is nothing short of fucking incredible. <laughs> <laughs> If you want to build yourself a fucking incredible website, <laughs> then uh, get over to squarespace.com and uh, choose a template and then uh, just uh, see how your content looks. Move it around a bit. You've got a two-week free trial. You can import the content from a website you already have. Uh, you can choose a URL. And then after the two weeks, if you sign up to Squarespace, then you can get 10% off for a year by using the code ANSWER. Here's a question from Ben, who says, Helen, answer me this. What is the cause of Desperate Dan's desperation (laughs) (laughs) i never had the dandy down as an existentialist publication uh, which is why i favored the beano way existential (laughs) Uh, so i find it difficult to believe that dan is a melancholy character Uh, so what does he seek was his desperation ever satiated the more i think of it the more it seems like he's a modern incarnation of sisyphus whose constant (laughs) anguish serves only to provide content 
for a NAF comic. Well, not anymore, because the dandy shut down. Is it, is it beef? Because whenever he's pictured, or his most frequent depiction in, in myth is with a, <laughs> with a huge beef pie. Cow pie! Well, yeah, but it, and it says cow pie, snack size, and it's huge. So if that's a snack pie for him, surely there's not enough beef in the world to so save his need for beef. He's desperate for more... Dietary fibre, because um, he has not had a crap for several years. <laughs> so uh, he's desperate for relief. He's desperate for sex, because although he appeared in The Dandy from 1937, he didn't get a girlfriend until 2001. Ooh, ooh. And, uh, Whereas I, Mickey Mouse was getting his end away within a few years. Love to bang. <laughs> uh, he was probably desperate to retire as well, because he was in every edition of The Dandy for 75 years. Wow. I've never read a copy of The Dandy. Desperate Dan was um, essentially meant to be a cowboy. I think he was based in Texas. Oh, right, yeah. So no, is, des- is it desperate as in sort of desperado? It is, Martin. He was firstly supposed to be an outlaw, like the desperados, oh. and then they softened his character and made him more helpful. <laughs> but it did mean that the comic was not very funny. Yeah. I don't remember. What, what did he get up to? I think he lifted a lot of things because he was very strong, and then yeah. he would eat a cow pie. But the thing is, cow pie in American means cow shit. Oh. Mm. Ah. So was it a clever thing? Was it a pun? Was it double entendre? Well, I don't think the dandy was necessarily available there. No, but for the creators, for the comic artists. Maybe. You've got to keep yourself amused when you're drawing the same cartoon for 90 years. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ellen, how many minutes should I bake a cake for? Before it gets all burned and dry Ollie, how many onions can I slice Before my eyes start to cry And Martin, how many sausages would you like For your evening meal If you answer me I'll be very pleased That describes how I feel Here's a question from Chris in Leamington Spa who says, I was wondering about follicles, mainly the transplanting thereof. Excellent. I know a few celebs who have had it done, which, if you couldn't get from Chris's long-winded language, hair transplants. Yes. Such as Wayne Rooney and Jason Gardner, that guy off the ice skating reality shite. Oh yeah, he was... uh... Epic dr- bald, in Chris's words. It was a dramatic change, yeah. He's... Full head of hair now. But he, I thought he, he owned the look of having no hair. He said he was depressed as a result of having his hair uh, falling oh. out. It's probably cold to sit next to an ice rink without any hair as well. <laughs> Chris continues, As I understand it, the transplanting process involves taking hair from one part of your head and transplanting it to another. For the bargainous price of £22,000. Oh, for a full head or just a bit? In the case of Jason Gardner, it's a full head, wow. reportedly. And often it doesn't work. He paid to go to a US uh, private clinic where they shut the whole clinic for him to have it, so that costs a bit more. Really? But you're talking over 10 grand it's anyway. Jason Gardner, who would care? I know. Especially if he's then going to turn up with a head of hair so everyone knows it's happened. I know. Like Elton John. Yeah. Well, Chris says, as I understand it, the transplanting process involves taking hair from one part of your head and transplanting it to another. You don't miss a trick. Now, perhaps I'm missing something screamingly obvious, but surely if you have hair on the back and the sides and yet none on top, then you transplant it from there to the top of your head, you'll be left with the ultimate short back and sides. 
i.e. all now on the top and very little anywhere else, which luckily recently has been fashionable. Yeah, they don't take all your hair from your sides and the back and put it on the top and the front. They just take a bit. They take some of the follicles. They don't strip out all your hair. Right, but presumably if you were like completely bald, then it would be a pointless process. Yes, although it's about the follicles working. Yes. So uh, I don't know, but I can imagine that someone who even appears completely bald might have some neck hair with some working follicles in it. Right, okay. So Chris says, Ollie, answer me this. Where does all this extra hair come from? Apparently, patients typically when they have this done properly, Mm -hmm. after like three weeks of it looking sore, where they've cut out the follicles in the healthy bit and put them on the bit with no hair, Mm. it starts growing back again. Right. I don't understand how, because they have moved the follicles but apparently it does. Um, I think it might be that your follicles are so small Mm -hmm. that actually when you take a follicle, you're taking something that's like a millimetre thick. If they take alternate rows or if they take just a few, actually it grows over the top of it anyway, so you don't notice that there was a strip where it was. But definitely if you look at the before and after pictures, you can see where they call it the donor area, the bit that they've stripped to take the follicles. You can see it when they have the surgery and three weeks later it is covered. James Nesbitt, you don't notice any missing. It's worked a treat on him. My hair's thinning. and But no one can tell because he's so bloody tall. No, you're saying that, but that's because you're so bloody short. <laughs> Damn <laughs> people, it. People can tell. And it's got to the stage now where the hairdresser says it to me when I sit in the seat. Last time I went to the hairdresser, for the first time ever in my life, she tried to upsell me some baldness treatments. Oh. Um, and I said to her, like, laughingly, <laughs> I'm not the kind of guy who's going to spend £35 on baldness treatment. And then she got, like, her henchmen to come over from the desk at the front of the salon. And they were both, they had uh, bottles of nioxin in hands, like mm-hmm. uh, like guns on a holster. And they were like, but this isn't vanity. This is, it's just, this, I, bet, I bet your girlfriend looks after her looks, doesn't she? Why shouldn't you have your hair? Why shouldn't you try this? For £35, just for every quarter, this could stop your hair falling out. Now, you might say you don't care that your hair's thinning right now. But you will when she leaves you. But imagine if you didn't take preventative action to stop the hair you've got falling out. God, it's like an infomercial happening in front of you. And of course, as soon as they give you that argument, all of which is true, but all of which is playing to my vanity, it was quite difficult not to buy it because I was thinking, you can't disprove that, can you? Like, Mm. if I use it, and no more of my hair falls out than it's working. Yeah. If I don't use it and some of my hair falls out, then I'll think, oh, I should have bought that and that would have stopped it. But I'll never know by using it whether or not it's stopping my hair falling out because mm. they'll just say, well, it's slowing it down. You'll never mm. know. Well, I suppose if you became balder faster after having used it, then you could go back yes, and be like, that's you true. pricks. If, if, <laughs> if apparently clinically research anti-balding cure actually made your hair fall out, then yes, you'd have, you yeah. would have a concern for complaint. So but did you buy it? I bought it, yeah. Oh. £35. Is it working? Um, well, it's not not working. I'll tell you what it does. <laughs> is it, it makes my scalp a bit red after I've used it. Great. And, Are you sure that's not the psoriasis? Well, no, I think it might be sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's basically tea tree oil, isn't it? That's what's in there. Oh, stuff okay. like that. Stuff that stimulates your skin and it's your like follicles. It's Viagra for hair. Exactly. So in that sense, I can feel it's working. I can feel that there's shit going on in my hair. Like my, my scalp is feeling a bit more alive and replenished. But that could just really be a euphemism for sore. Yeah. And I don't really know. Energize. And I don't want to be the guy who spends loads of money on hair treatment. I really don't. I'm not bothered about it like I would be if I was 21. Yeah. But I do just feel, well, I might still have the majority of my life left ahead of me. I don't want it to fall out. You might look really cool, bald. 
It's a big mite, that. I like it as a look. I'm trying to think of someone who's got my face and is bald and they're not pretty. Well, we are at the end of this episode of Answer Me This. But to beget the next episode, please send us your questions by email, phone and Skype. And we've handily left our contact details on our website. AnswerMeThisPodcast.com We haven't just left them there, like deposited them there. They're astride the website proudly. But uh, remember as well that even if our website is a feast for your eyes and, and brain... Uh, that uh, Facebook and Twitter is also a place where you can get more material from us. And if you want to buy our old stuff, answermethisstore.com. Oh, and please do, because when you do that, it helps us keep the show going. And also, we are very grateful to the uh, financial support of Squarespace. Yes. And the emotional support they give us. (laughs) They're our friends and yours. Yes. Please join in two weeks for the next episode. Bye! Bye!